Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, my friends. And once again, I welcome you to another episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast, where I'm your host, Matt Drinkon. And I look forward to sharing with you some great stories today. Before we do that, be sure to go over to Instagram and Facebook and subscribe, like, and share underneath the Eternal Optimist Podcast account, where every day, Monday through Saturday, I run a live stream at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I will go through tips on being an Eternal Optimist, a day in the life of an Eternal Optimist, things behind the scenes, and any other type of feedback and opportunity that we can learn and grow and share some positive vibes to get the day kicked off every day, Monday through Saturday. Check it out. Today's episode's a special one. This is someone that I was introduced to, and from the very get-go, I was in awe of this man, an amazing human being. Wherever you are, be there, is one of Mr. Eric Wolwin's favorite quotes. This is a man who sued the CDC during COVID and won. He's gonna share with you today a master lesson on how to adapt to any situation. Some of his simple philosophies include, find out what people want and give it to them. He is a straight up builder in every situation. And when I say that, I mean, listen to what he says very carefully. He does not say the word, but. He is a yes and kind of leader. And he gets his kids involved and they are following in his footsteps. As of this intro recording that I'm doing in December of 2022, I've already interviewed his 15-year-old son, Devin, who already has his own real estate mastermind. He owns 40-plus properties, and he's written numerous books, all before the age of 16, before he can even drive. Eric's 12-year-old son has also authored a book. And his wife, who he met back at Kent State, and he felt there was no way that she would even talk to him, well, she herself is a prolific speaker and entrepreneur, as you'll soon see when you check out their Instagram and YouTube channels for Real Power Family. This is an incredible family. Eric is an incredible human being and prepare to learn from him today on how you can do it too. So sit back and enjoy, my friends, my interview with Mr. Eric Wolwind. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that introduction, I would love to bring to the stage a new friend, Mr. Eric Wolwin. Eric, how are you today, sir? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. It's an af- absolute privilege and pleasure. You were recommended by uh, someone I respect and trust, uh, Mr. Mark Victor Hansen. 
And when he said, you need to meet Eric, that fired me up. So when you responded and you responded and introduced me to your son as well, excited for that. I just have so many questions for you, Eric, and and love to dive straight in. First, today we're recording this on Veterans Day, and I know that you're a veteran, so I wanted to say uh, thank you for your service as a veteran. I appreciate that, and I'd like to put a shout out to all of the other hundreds of thousands of veterans out there. So there's a lot of them that haven't made it home and won't make it home, and some are just away from their families. So we're sitting here back safe in America thinking about you. Absolutely. I'm curious when someone makes that comment, thank you for your service. Does that, how does that affect you or what comes to your mind when someone asks you that or says that to you? Really, when they first said it, we weren't treated nearly as well before 9-11. And I remember the first time somebody bought me a meal right after 9-11, it was just such a shock. I remember hearing stories about my dad coming home from Vietnam and how he was treated. And then at first I felt a little weird, like I didn't deserve it, I guess. But it is quite an honor now. And what do you say? It was just something that we needed to do. I didn't go out looking to do anything special. I just felt that that's what was needed in the world. I thought I was doing the right thing. Perhaps we were, perhaps we weren't. I would say some places we went, we really helped out. And other places, not so much. But I know virtually everyone there that's on the ground doing what they're told, they really are trying to make the world a better place, which is really how I raise my children. That's my main driving force in life. Well, we're going to come back to how you raise your children. And I like to follow a certain model in our questions. The first question I love to ask someone like you, who's you know had success in a number of different ways. I'd love to ask you, what was a challenge that was a foundational in helping you to, to form your mindset and the person you become today. Take us back earlier in life to, to any challenge that you could share with us, Eric. Oh, one of my, still one of my biggest challenges is leadership. I have been a very good leader in different places. I've written a book on leadership. I have, was a sergeant in the army about the time I could drink legally. There is a huge difference between a bunch of 20-year-old guys that have machine guns and blow stuff up and fall out of airplanes for their living, and then going to an office setting surrounded by females that don't like to be yelled at. And that was a huge problem going in. I guess they did okay hiring contractors when you're out there building stuff and they're yelling and cussing like sailors, and I fit in fine there. But when I went into my wife's office, I tended to irritate people. And I didn't mean to be gruff or mean. I just tried to lead the same way in business as I did in the Army. And it absolutely didn't work. Well, what kind of resistance were you met with? Or how did you know it wasn't working? When you are teaching someone to fall out of an airplane, you have their total attention. They believe you when you say, if you don't listen to me, you're going to die. When you're going into combat, and you're a platoon sergeant, people pay attention either because they have to or they want to live. When you walk into an office, they can say, you know what, this is too difficult. I'm going somewhere else. I'll get a job, you know, as a manager at fill in the blank. So learning how to speak and really trying to teach my wife how to lead, she tried to learn how to do it my way, which worked great for me in some scenarios and barely worked in others, like the office setting she was in. And I would say that was my greatest failure, was trying to teach her to lead like I did, 
when it wasn't even really working for me. And then I had some, we were in all male units for a long time. And I finally went to a military unit where there was a female in charge and she was every bit as effective and nowhere near as loud as the guys that did this at Fort Bragg and trying to learn her way. And there have been so many incredible people. When I was training to be a speaker for the first time, about the same time Devin was born, there was a very influential female in my life. And she said, listen, you need to go home and you need to quit watching these war movies and stuff and go watch chick flicks with your wife. So she sentenced me to like a month of watching Sleepless in Seattle instead of The Dirty Dozen. (laughs) And boy, that was different for me. I didn't have to be the ultra masculine, full of testosterone guy. It was okay to let down our guard. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine, I had a father that was more drill sergeant than father sometimes. And I'm sure I'm still like that. But before we turned on the recording, you were talking about how you can finally open up a little bit. It's okay to be a little emotional. And that was a huge learn. That was a massive lesson that I desperately needed. And I Mm. got that from working with these very strong and successful women. I wish I could say guys do that, but there's just so much that it's just different between men and women. And we need each other. We need to learn and not try and be all masculine. The men can be just as feminine and show what we think are traditional qualities and still be strong and successful. So, yeah, I'd like to thank my wife and a couple of the other leaders and incredible women in my life, including my mother, who is very strong and successful herself that helped me break out of this being a drill sergeant attitude. You put a couple pieces here in the timeline of the puzzle. One of them was that month of watching Sleepless in Seattle and other chick flicks and things that opened and exposed you to just something different than you were engaged in frequently. And I can relate to that. I remember back in 2001, uh, I had opportunity to get a little bit better at connecting with a girlfriend at the time. And my coach sentenced me to what's called sensitivity training. And at that time, 21 years ago, it was this, this may cause a chuckle. They had me watch the show Sex in the City. And I had wow. to watch yeah. a season of the show. And that was the sensitivity training 20 plus years ago. And that opened up a different perspective. And it started the path. So for you, the path started to this higher level of awareness of leadership switching from this very masculine drill sergeant when that did not work with your wife. You then are aware of this. So how did you and your wife have conversations around this? Sounds very challenging to try to get a a drill sergeant mentality out of a strong masculine personality. That sounds very hard to me. Well, my father was a platoon sergeant in Nam and a drill sergeant. And he was very, my whole life, I grew up like that. I was 19. I was a paratrooper in the army, a sapper. So everything I did took me further down that road. And then I left Fort Bragg in 97, met my wife when we were at Kent State. And so I had started progressing and learning. And I think it really came to a head in 2007. When I was training to be a speaker, I was on stage. And Devin was just born. 
I left to start speaking two weeks before he was born. So we were here and no, I was there for his birth and I was, but I was gone six months out of the first year. And that year long period, my life changed in so many ways. I can't even count. I guess that that's, we just keep jumping from challenge to challenge. And, and I remind the audience if they need to be reminded of you know how successful we are today in running a number of businesses that I mentioned in the intro. Uh, but it's interesting to see you're talking about all these challenges as just tremendous learning opportunities. And you're giving gratitude and appreciation to the strong women and the strong things in your life. I, I love the kind of the hidden message you keep sharing. This is awesome. What was that like being on the road or not being as present in that first six months when Devin was born. I was very afraid I wouldn't be a good enough father. And I think a lot of new dads are afraid of that. I think they all should be. It's just a totally new thing. And I always believed that no matter what, the most important thing I ever would do in my life is raise my children. And it's great if I can be successful in the army and get promoted quick. It's great if I can run a business. My dad even told me, he said, yeah, being a platoon sergeant is kind of like raising children, but you're out there and you got to take care of them and protect them. In a business, you have to take care of your employees and the people that work for you and even your customers. And if you look at it, there are so many similarities. My book, The Family Success Triangle, goes over and it's really a complete mixture of how did I raise my family to be so successful at the same time as running multiple businesses? And I realized that one made me much better at another. It did not detract from, but it helped me get ahead in the other realm. The better of a business person you are, the more likely you are to be diplomatic in coming up with rewards and punishments for your children. And the better you learn how to deal with a cranky two-year-old, the more likely you are to deal with an unrealistic customer. And one thing leads to another. So I've just completely integrated every part of my life. I don't know how to do it any other way. To more fully answer your question, I knew I wanted to get out there. I really desperately wanted to get out and speak. And I thought that would be the biggest impact I could have on the world. And the real estate was going well. So to rewind a little bit, I lost a job in 2003. I had read Rich Dad Poor Dad and said, hey, I can do this real estate thing. So I went out. I bought my second rental. Two years later, I had enough passive income from my rentals that I never need to work again. Fast forward a couple years after that, I think I really know what I'm doing. I take a year off. I don't focus on the business at all. My wife runs everything while I'm gone. And we had just a little teeny hiccup in the real estate market in 2007, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, yes. So here I am with a brand new baby, a new house, and all of these extra bills, and I'm not working for a year and traveling and spending extra money and speaking. So we had a lot of challenges there. When I was gone, I put 100% of my effort. I didn't worry about my child. I didn't worry about my wife being home. I didn't worry about the business. And when I came home, I did absolutely nothing but spend time with my child. I might practice you know, speeches with him, just like I'd call him at night when I was on the road. But I was where I was. I was 100% dedicated and living in the present. Unfortunately, I focused on my wife and my child when I got home. And I didn't have the mental capacity to remember I had a business I should have been looking at. Okay. Which led us to 
some serious problems there. But as soon as I realized that I'd missed, I was 100% with my child, which is probably if you're spending six months with your kid, that's probably more attention than most fathers give their children. But I was still gone for six months. And I didn't miss any birthday parties. I didn't miss him learning to walk or talk, any of that. And yet I still was on the road. So I decided to give that up. And I just kind of disappeared until both of my children were old enough to travel with me. And we have been taking them everywhere and doing everything since they were about seven years old. I've been running investment meetings. I did a lot of local things. And I took them with me every week of their life. They were at an investment meeting with me. And one guy said, you're bringing a baby in a car carrier? I thought this was an investment meeting. I said, yes. And if you would like to get my free advice, then I'm going to bring my child. And <laughs> really True. nobody else complained about that. Yeah, I was 100% there with him, but I lost sight of the business. Money might not be the most important thing, but it's really hard to have a good life without it. And you are not wealthy if you're just there for your children and you're living under a bridge. You've got to find a way to integrate and balance. And balance is just too hard. So rather than trying say, well, I'm going to spend this much time on the road and I'll spend this much time with my kids and I'll spend this much time on the business. I run multiple businesses and yet they all feed off of each other. They are all based around real estate. So we have the real estate company. My wife runs the management company and real estate brokerage. And then we have our rentals. And then I have my construction company that fixes up rehabs the rentals and then the speaking company where we write books about business and rentals and leadership and parenting and our kids are involved in all of this in fact this week devin worked two days this week at the office and actually my wife is only there three so my 15 year old is spending as much time in the real estate brokerage and just brought up the fact that he says yeah I'd like to start taking over more parts of this and running it, which he is absolutely capable of doing. So you'll hear from him, but understand that really he could be running a real estate brokerage by the time he was 16. That's fantastic. And you've weaved the lessons into the challenges here. So I'd like to go to one of the lessons I think you're sharing. And what I think I'm hearing is that in the midst of building the business empire, you have brought your kids with you. In some way, shape, or form, we can call this education. They are getting a real-world education through real-life experience and seeing A, in business, and B, being part of a family. So I, I wonder, the kind of lesson I think that I'm, I'm feeling right now is around what lessons can you offer us around education when it comes to your business and being a parent? How do those two things come together in educating your children, Eric? Let me turn that around and ask you a question. I saw that you had a young daughter walking by, it looked like. Yes. How many times in business have you needed to work with a team? I assume you have an accountant that does your... Every day, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you hire a bookkeeper, depending on how much work you have. And maybe you're great at social media, you're running a podcast, and maybe you need help hiring a marketing person. Uh, in fact, I was just writing right before I got on this call. I'm writing my weekly newsletter for next week. And it is about hire the people that you're missing. Everybody is good. In my construction company, it's easy enough to find a guy that knows how to swing a hammer and where to hit the nail. But to find one that can do that 
and can type on a computer, send me an email, an invoice, whatever, that seems to be a problem. I even had one that says, well, I write paper invoices. We have far too much work. I don't have time for paper. It needs to be digital. And says, well, I've been doing it this way for the last 50 years. I said, and for tens of thousands of years, people carried things and then they invented the wheel. But yeah, you have to bring them and find what they are good at to bring it back to the children. Children can do anything. And they don't have the preconceived notions that hold them back like we do until we teach it to them. You use a team for everything that you do in one way or another. There's somebody that is better at basically everything than you. You find the one thing you're spectacular at, and then you hire everything else. And sure, when you're starting out, you are the end-all, be-all. The business is you, and you are the business. But as you grow, you can't scale unless you start letting go and trusting other people. You have to hire other people. You have to get people better than you. If you're the smartest person in the room, you need to get to another room. I teach my children that, and I figure out what they're good at, and then I let them take off. Devin learned how to create movies when we were sitting in Vegas, and maybe he was five or six years old, and he just jumped onto iMovie and started making these little like 30 second, one minute videos. And I said, Oh my, that's awesome. Kid. Could you make some of those for my business? And we worked on an agreement that somebody drives out and gets pictures of all the houses we have in the apartment buildings. And he makes YouTube videos to advertise our rentals. And we're just sitting around in a timeshare in Vegas, taking a week off playing. And he's in the living room one day. And walked in and said, hey, dad, look what I did. But it is amazing how creative these kids can be. And it starts with necessity, just like everything. Why did you hire this? Because I knew it was right and I needed it. But really, why did you hire the first person you ever hired? Probably because you needed to. You just didn't have enough time. You couldn't make a deadline. You knew you were going to fail without them. And there's so many people that can't trust. They know they can do it better. And they're doomed to run a self-employed business, which means they bought themselves a job for the rest of their life. So the first time you're forced to let go in order to make a deadline or whatever. I know one of my kids, actually both of my kids do my reconciliation, a lot of book work for me, but it started with the first one. Devin walks in and says, dad, I really want to do this. I want to help. What can I do? And he really just wants to play. It's not like I want to you know, run your business because he's three or four. I said, remember that game we play memory? He goes, yeah. I said, well, it's just like memory. And I'm sitting here in this home office. And I said, look, see this piece of paper? And I pull up the paper from my, you know, my bank statement. I said, look on the computer in QuickBooks. All you got to do is find the numbers. And when you find the number, you put a little click beside it, just like memory. And if the bottom right number turns to a zero, you win. And so he reconciled my bank account for the first time, and I got him a bowl of ice cream for a reward. Oh, man. uh, We have... Classic. We've homeschooled our children since they were born. I didn't even know there was a thing such as a curriculum. We just made it up as we went. We thought, okay, they should learn math. Every parent's biggest problem, every business owner's biggest problem with the school system, they tell my child to sit down, be quiet, and don't cheat. 
when have yeah. you ever gotten anything good out of your life by sitting down, being quiet, going with the flow and not working with others? It seems like everything in my business, I need an accountant, don't I? Then why are yes. you telling him not to cheat? Why don't you tell him, find the smartest person in this room and tell him, if you can help me do my history, I'll help you do your math. Thank you. And now, a break from our sponsor of the Eternal Optimist podcast. Friends, Merry Christmas to you. Happy Hanukkah. Any faith that you may have, any religious celebration, anything you do this month of December, I want to invite you to be one with each other, to share in the positive energy and love of all humans, no matter what the beliefs are, because every single human matters. I'm going to share this Merry Christmas joy and cheer with you. And it doesn't matter from any lens by which you sit. All I want you to know is it's coming from a place of love, support, and care for the human race. We can do this. And if we're going to do it, we're going to need to learn to do it together. So I say to you, my brothers and sisters, and anyone else who identifies as anything else, I love you all. Let's share that positive holiday spirit, no matter where we are, and share it with someone we love. Today's sponsor for the Eternal Optimist Podcast. I've been thinking this way for years and you're, you're bringing it out. Please continue. By the way, everything you're sharing right now, I think is a great way to lead people, to find the strength of everyone in the room, not make everyone the same automaton. So help me understand some more of this, this thought on the education. We, we kind of briefly talked on this on our first call some time ago, and I love what you're sharing. And I'm, I'm fully on board with helping people play their strengths for the good of the team. So help me understand more. This is, this is good stuff. I tell people all the time that if what it questioned me, in fact, that's the biggest thing, question everything. And what the public schools or private schools, no matter how good they are, are teaching, it's just not good. 75% of the people, there's four different ways to learn. The school system is fantastic for about a quarter of the people out there. But Ethan, my youngest, is just terrible at sitting still. He needs to have something in his hands. How many of your listeners would rather be doing? How much can you read in a book? I love to read books. All right, my whole family writes books. We read a lot. And yet you still don't understand what you read until you put it into practice. Mm, it's one thing yes. to lead. And a lot of people can read and memorize. My wife's awesome at that. And in college, she'd read and memorize, but she didn't know how to apply anything. And I got out there and it just drove her nuts. Because I didn't understand it. I wasn't as good at it, but I could immediately apply it to 10 other things in my life. So some people would say book smart versus street smart. You can't have one without the other. You have to find a way to integrate them. You have to make them work together. You're hitting a real nerve here. I remember that when I was in college, I, I got a summer job selling Cutco knives. And I went out that first training class. The leader said, I'll give you $20 if you can memorize the closing. So memorizing in books and stuff, that's really easy for me. So of course, I memorized that. Went out there, did my first 13 demos and went zero for 13. No sales. Came back to the office. They told me, go on field training, watch someone else do it. And then I watched a real feeler, a real people person go out and not sell anything. But it connected with me that, whoa. It's not just that I can regurgitate all of these wonderful features and benefits and all of the, the script. I've got to be able to read people. I had no idea how to do that. 
so I, I believe what you're sharing completely that there's book smart, there's street smart, people smart. And I don't know if we're fully equipped to be well trained in both by what we do out there. That's not a slight on the system saying that it's completely broken and wrong because those who are resilient and figure out how to adapt once they're through it or when they're in it, kudos to those. And I've figured that out, but I'm with you on where you're going. There is a better way. Why don't you, rather than give them all the information that they need, which let's say that the school system really does give you everything you need. Okay. And then hope that they can adapt when they get out. Why don't we start teaching them to adapt the entire time they're there? If you talk to my 12 year old, he will tell you the three things you need to do to become a billionaire are find out what people want, go out and get it and give it to them at a profit. And you have to do it in that order. So you were taught to memorize, pretend like I am the best person in my sales organization or whoever's listening, you are the best person in your sales organization. There is absolutely no script that you can write down that will be perfect in every circumstance. True. Mm -hmm. True. Absolutely have to find out more about the person. You Mm. have to figure out what they want. You can't just try and sell them what you have. I have Cutco knives. My brother was you. He sold the Cutco knives when he was, you know, getting out of high school and college. And I love Cutco knives. I think they're fantastic. But you can't walk up to somebody that eats McDonald's every day and say, you can't live without these knives. You have to find your target audience and then you have to find out. Maybe even though you can eat a burger with your hand, if you like to split it with your spouse or cut up your children's or whatever, maybe you do need a cut co knife. Don't sell them a steak knife. Let them know how the larger knife, whatever that's called, can benefit them. And then give them the opportunity to improve their life by buying your product. I love your thoughts on education, the practicality of let's help them do rather than everyone same thing, sit and listen. I love the practical, this is you living it in real life where your sons are very engaged in their own strengths in your business and they love it and they're successful at it before they even go. If they even go to college, they're 16 years and younger and they've seen this for years and they've learned. I believe the educational system needs a major reform. Devin, one of my kids, started at Kent State University when he was 12 years old. So that was exciting, driving him to class and dropping him off there when he was so small compared to everybody else. He came home from his first day of school, I said, and realized he has never, ever been to school before. He has been 100% homeschooled, so he's never been in a traditional classroom. He has been at the National Real Estate Convention, uh, New Orleans Investment Conference, Rebel Capitalist, you name it, the investment seminar. He has probably been there since he was seven years old, bouncing all these. But to go and sit for eight hours a day, five days a week, that's never happened. So he's just taking one class, a physics class in college. Said, did you see anything different between you and the other kids there? Said, yeah, they were all playing on their phones the whole time until the teacher came in. And that was his big takeaway. Not they're a lot older than me or they can drive or, you know, they've been in college for a year or so. It was, boy, they spent a lot of time playing on their phones. We don't do phones. 
people worry that my child, oh, well, they both wrote books and they do all this, but are they real kids? I'm telling you, the 12-year-old gets out and he rides his four-wheeler like a maniac. We were out playing in the orchard all day yesterday, and by playing, I mean raking and blowing leaves and getting stuff ready and cleaning out the fire pit and the greenhouse and everything else. But yeah, they get out and they work on the farm and the orchard and they play with their friends. And Ethan is very into driving things. He's a heck of a pilot. He at 12 years old, he almost landed my airplane for the first time a couple of weeks ago, but he got us down on short final. We were about a hundred foot up, but he is just barely able to see over the dashboard now. So another inch or two, and he'll be landing the thing. And he can already take off and fly and get me anywhere. And he holds that plane steadier without an autopilot than I do most of the time. Mm. So, Wow. Just a, so amazing yeah, they get out and they do fun things and they do abnormal things and they do normal things. Well, I guess this is the first year they didn't do a lot of magic quests. But we have a conference at the Great Wolf Lodge. So they've mm. got their magic wands and they play the games with all the other kids. Man, so many different uh, amazing stories so far. Before we go to talking about your books, because I'd love to love to highlight a couple of those. Before we get to that, you did say something I wanted to touch on. You met your wife at Kent State. And I'm curious about that the origin story. Can you recount for us uh, how you met your wife and what that first date or meeting may have been like, Eric? All right. It was September 2nd, 1997. It's such a memorable date. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So for everyone out there that says, God, he remembers the first day he saw his wife. It was also my ETS date for my first enlistment in the Army. So that kind of is ingrained in my mind. Okay. Uh, that would be the date that you were officially out, which then I signed up for a long time. I was in 13 years, but the first four ended on September 2nd. I show up to my first day at Kent State Organic Chemistry, and that is when I saw Lila for the first time. And she hated me. And thought I was arrogant, which was true. <laughs> and said she would never go out with me. And now we've been married for 21 years. 22 years. As of a couple months ago. So yeah, that was where we met. We both got our degrees. We were both from very middle class families. And we were both taught to work hard and get a good job and you know, get good grades. You have to have a college education. And she learned that you have to have a college education because I don't. And that's why I keep losing my job. And her parents were good with money, but they always had to save for a rainy day. And it happened all the time because her dad would lose his job and it wouldn't take long, but he'd have to move and he'd get another good job. And then I came from the opposite end. My dad was the first one to get a college degree in his family. And he became a doctor. And then he messed up his shoulders and he couldn't practice medicine anymore when I was about 20. And so here he is. He was forced to retire and sell his office for what I would call in business pennies on the dollar. And he just he couldn't practice dentistry anymore because his hands shook. And he couldn't get a job. He applied to teach at Kent State. And they wouldn't teach him, or they wouldn't hire him because he wasn't a dental hygienist. He said, 
you do understand that I'm a doctor of dental surgery. These people work for me. Yeah, but you don't have that certificate. And my mom has a master's. And if you ask her, she'd say, I teach secretary. But she taught all the English. In fact, she edited all of our books and is great at that. That was her another, strong. Another thing in the family. I love that. Love that. That Good. is really helpful when it comes to the kids writing books that we have a built-in editor. And her and my wife helped a lot. I mean, they, they worked together teaching all of the stuff for English. And spe- oh, I'm atrocious at spelling. I can't even spell that word atrocious. And I've realized... <laughs> Oh, Devin's getting much better, but Ethan is just as bad at spelling as me. But they're learning and they're growing, and we find the people that are around them. My dad was great with woodworking when he was with us. So they'd go out and he'd teach them, you know, science and math and physics like me. But they spent a lot of time playing and doing things they weren't allowed to do, using power tools when they were way too young, because they're at grandpa's and that's just accepted. And then I realized it'd be kind of nice if they knew a foreign language and believe what you want. But if you just put your mind and open up to the world, things happen for you. And I decided, yes, I want my children to learn a foreign language. And next thing I know, every Wednesday night, I have an investment group. I have two Spanish teachers showing up. So one of them started teaching my kids Spanish, which worked a lot better than any of this online stuff. So yeah, you just find the people. And I was very happy to trade business knowledge and training for them working for an hour or two with my kids on Spanish, because none of us, nobody in my family that I know of is equipped to teach that. Back to the first lesson you'd shared when we began our conversation is find the people you're missing. And I, I love the way you've weaved your family stories together into business, and it all seems to be tied together. I'd love to go to your new book, The Family Success Triangle. I've been looking at it before we spoke online for some time, and I realized that there's a reason why you don't have a hard copy to show up and, and show us right now on the camera, but you do have the, the one in the background over there on the wall. Tell us a little bit about uh, The Family Success Triangle, Eric. This book is so new that this isn't even really the book. This is my son's book, Evans. If you look inside, it's a kid's book. But we had the cover printed up so we could do press releases and stuff. And you can get it on Amazon. It came available last Friday. They were supposed to deliver some to me yesterday. And UPS couldn't find my house or something. So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle, paperback, the hardback. There seems to be more of a delay. But yeah, Family Success Triangle is really about how we raised our children. We go to these places and there's one or two people. For all the parents out there, if you're afraid to take your child with you, get over it. They're your kid. And if you trained them to act and behave the way they're supposed to, which means if you have a little boy, they're supposed to get grass-stained knees and skin their knees and have fun and do stupid things when they're playing, but then they also need to know how to sit and be quiet. And so we would take them to all these groups. And if they got a little bit anxious because they were too young to be there, okay, you walk out. You don't let them throw a fit or disrupt the meeting. You just walk out with them. But we have been doing this forever. We've integrated them into everything. I told you how we started reconciling my accounts. And then when Devin was five, 
he said, dad, I want to invest. And I have been teaching him that investing is the right way. Don't do what my dad taught me. Don't get good grades and get another degree and, you know, just use that. The world is not there to take care of you just because you have a piece of paper. And like I said, my parents had, if anything, too many degrees and my wife's parents didn't have enough. And I realized they both achieved a very comfortable life, which is what the middle class sets out to do most of the time. And that was good, but I wanted more. And it didn't make any sense because I knew and loved my family and I trusted and believed they were trying to give me the best advice. But I also trusted and believed Lila's family and knew they were trying to give us the best advice. And the two were completely incongruent. They, they were the opposite. And if neither of them, if they both were sure they were right and neither of them turned out to be right, there had to be a different way. So we went in search of what that was. And I think you don't need to learn more and you don't need to work harder or do more. You need to do differently. If what you have done for the last couple of decades hasn't gotten you as far as you want, then you need to do it a different way. You need to get a different team member or a bigger team or maybe just your first team member. You need to... You can only work. There's 168 hours in a week. There is only so much time you can trade for money. If you really want to make more, you have to trade value for value. And if the only thing you have to give is your time, you are stuck where you are forever. If you get a college degree, it can amplify that time. But you're still, as a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, you're still trading time for money. It's just in a higher hourly wage. But if you're an author, I can work forever to write a book. I mean, it was long hours, but it wasn't forever, was it? It was just for a couple of months of my life. And I got absolutely nothing for it. And months later, it finally goes into production. It's finally in print. And it came out last Friday. And now... For the rest of my life and my children's life, if it's a good enough book and people keep buying it, we will be paid whether we're asleep or on vacation or playing on the farm or out presenting and promoting it. But find a way that you can get people. We sit here and spend an hour recording this podcast, but if it's good enough, people will play it over and over and over and you'll help them all of those times it's played. And your life will get better in some way just because it keeps going. So find a way to do something like you are doing where you can work once and get paid forever. So another lesson out of the book that I am teaching my children. And it seems to be working. I mean, if you look, two books, both of my kids, Devin came out with The Garage first. And his really exemplifies this lesson. And then Ethan's just came out the same day as mine. He's got his gold star. He was very proud of that. He hit number one. Devin's talks about a kid that invents something. All right. He's much more into electronics and computers and stuff like that. That's his thing. And so Atlas Gold invents this drone software that delivers things. And that is what he did. 
Ethan is a lot more hands-on. So he focuses on, and triangles have been a big part of our business. I don't know why. They just keep popping up in life. But it's the strongest figure. Ethan built this. They gave him a bunch of sticks at Boy Scouts and said, see who can make this stand up the highest. So he makes a triangular pyramid and then sticks a couple of these poles on top of it. And it's massively sturdier than all of the other scouts there. And this is the same time that we are getting the illustrations done for the treehouse book. So if you look, we have a triangular treehouse, triangular supports, the family success triangle. And we've got the triangle there on our book. But everything is integrated into everything. Ethan's the hands-on one. He likes to get dirty and work with his hands and do that stuff. So he starts a contracting business inadvertently. He builds a treehouse to avoid his brother and family, right? Because every every young teenager wants a place to escape. He's like, I just want a place on my own. I'm almost 13. And him and he, his best friend, and then he meets another friend, and they build this treehouse and just kind of help out. And little Mrs. Baker lives down the street, and she has a broken step. And they're hauling wood for their treehouse and say, oh, well, that's unsafe. We could fix that for her. So they go up and fix it and never considered that she'd pay them. And she gives them each a couple of bucks to buy ice cream. And they said, wow, I never thought we'd get paid. Well, then she calls all of her friends. and like, oh, they really helped me out, which then leads to let us say there's some crony capitalism going on. And there's always a bad city official. We've had a couple of problems with the city. Actually, I sued the CDC a couple of years ago when they said we couldn't evict and beat them. Mm-hmm. So there is all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always that thrown into the books. And it's the building inspector that goes after Ethan, excuse me, Darius Knight, his main character, and says, You've got to tear this down and you can't do this. And then later you find out that he's related to the contracting guy that's losing business because these kids are so much better. But either way, all of the books teach awesome lessons. Devin has a nonfiction out as well. But really, the two that just came out this year, Ethan's teaches you all of the lessons, not all, but the beginning. It should be a long series of books of how to go out and have fun and play and build things. And accidentally, you wake up with a business and didn't even realize... That wasn't your goal, but hey, we kind of have a business. And then they go back and they donate some time and fix the park. And, you know, they're helping out the community. They're providing enough value that people want to pay these children to do it. And it really lets the kids see, I don't just need to get a job. I could create a job. I don't need to climb the ladder. I could build the ladder and let other people climb my ladder and my business. And so metaphorically, he literally, the first thing he fails in his treehouse is the ladder spins. But uh, so, yeah, that's that. And then my book is all about how to get the kids involved and how the same lesson I learned in business helped me raise a kid and raising the kid helped me do better in business. And every chapter, I mean, we have a homeschool chapter for parents that are interested at all in homeschooling. And my wife is actually writing. We've written the curriculum up until a year or two ago. And we're writing a curriculum because even in the homeschool stuff, nobody teaches business and finances. 
And you can start teaching this when they're in preschool. And it's simply a matter of currency versus money in coins and little easy things that preschoolers can do. And that, that might take years or a year or two, probably years to roll out. But she is working on that. And we're getting lesson plans that people can use that if you send your kids to a traditional school or you homeschool them, why not teach them now how to work together? Why not teach them now how to think outside the box? Why not teach them now that it's okay to learn how to run a business and become an entrepreneur rather than just getting a job and working for somebody else? Eric, I want to thank you for everything you've shared. And I want to make an observation that I felt so captivated by everything you've shared because you just continue to build and build and build and build and build on everything you've shared. You continue to be a yes and person throughout our entire discussion today. At, at no point have you only said the word but once, and that was not to nullify something you said. It was just a filler. You literally say and and everything. I love the way you build on top of everything. Is that intentional? The way that you continue to say and and build or that just built into your DNA being a builder? You actually <laughs> gave me tingles down my spine. I work so hard and I'm so hard on other people. Every time you say the word, but you completely negate everything that came before that. Yes. This is so like a yes, staple of my I coaching practice. Yeah. I cut people off all the time and have exercises to get them to stop saying, but so well, you look you very are... nice, but <laughs> yeah. like, so what? <laughs> no, I worked very hard on that. This time it was completely unintentional. Now it's just ingrained. But it didn't happen overnight. Like everything that's worth having, you have to work on yourself to grow bigger than you were before. Because you are every bit as good as you need to be to get all of the great things that have ever happened in your life. You made the choice and you caused those great things. And every mm. single thing that is holding you back, you created that too. Mm. Love it. Love it. So Eric, what... If we want to find out more about you and connect with you somehow, where might be some avenues that we can find you in social media or websites, anything of that nature? How can we find you? We are, my whole family is posting to Instagram, Rumble, and YouTube under at Real Power Family. Okay. So you can see the new releases for our books. We have a free newsletter. Feel free to sign up. It's right at the top of my website, clearskytrainer.com. ClearSkyTrainer.com. I send out a, a quick one page, whatever it is that somebody asked me or the biggest lesson from our Wednesday night meetings. And if you happen to be in Northeastern Ohio, everybody's welcome to come have dinner with us Wednesday night. Whenever I'm in town, it's posted on the website where I'll be. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing with our community today. Much appreciated. So many great lessons. Eric, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. This has been a, a, amazing and a real pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.